action. Got it, Rebel Tim! Okay, Tia. That is way too hard. <laughs> Good morning. Happy Father's Day. You know, most of the adults I know would honestly tell you that they want to be a courageous warrior, to take on life and defeat the evils that lie within life. And most young adults and most children I know say, I want to have someone, a warrior that I could emulate in my life, could tell me this is how you take on the world and this is how you beat it. So what we have done and are doing in these times right now, we are walking through a series of discovering how we can be warriors. And as we're doing that, we are looking at seven of the most unlikely people who, because of their courage, changed a community and even a nation. And so I want to encourage you that, that if you're going to be gone, as some of our friends are this morning, on vacation, that you be sure that while you're gone that you download the podcast on our website and stay on track with, with these wonderful principles these seven folks are going to show us. And especially if you weren't here last Sunday, as we began this series, grab a hold of that podcast. It's up there now. And, and tie it into what you hear this morning. I know that it'll enjoy you, you'll enjoy it, and it will give you the principles that you need. Becoming a warrior, as the dad on the video just said, and you heard him say, Tio, that was way too hard. We understand that this whole thing on warrior, being a warrior, can be a tough thing. And so I've asked you, and we announced it last Sunday, that you would email me at this website, or at this, this uh, email address, at warrior at eriefirst.org, and tell me that you are a warrior. I want to know who you are. I want you to tell me that you want to be a warrior. I want you to tell me what it is that you're battling. I want you to tell me how difficult it is for you and what can you do. I want you to say to me, can you put me with other people who are battling these same things? Because we are warriors, and we need each other. So I want to encourage you... Please do that. Please notify me. Because this is a hard thing to do. In fact, I, I want to I read to you this morning one of the uh, emails I received this week, and I did receive permission to read this. So if you send me your email, I'm not going to just automatically read it. I may contact you and say, can I read it? But only with your permission. But here's one that I want to read to you this morning. Pastor, I am so done living like I have for, well, all my life, I guess. As you know, I have walked through deliverance, and I know I need to speak to a pastor on a few more issues. However, my eyes are open to how bad my life could be, and I'm not willing to just give in to this attack from Satan. I do know God has used this eye-opening situation to help me wake up, and I finally have my sword in my hand, and I'm ready to do battle on behalf of my own soul, my marriage, my family, my ministry, and whatever else God leads me to fight for. I'm going to need some help. Not a lot of practice wielding a sword. Just being honest. And the honesty is this, that it's tough being a warrior. See, most everybody in this place knows the story. Two nations gather together, each on a hillside with a valley in between. And in the ancient days, warfare was highly ritualized. And one of the rituals was this. If this is one side and this is the other side and you've prepared yourselves in warfare and you're facing each other, one of the rituals was this. There's no sense in all of you wiping out all these people and back and forth and having injuries and being maimed and losing family members. 
And so each team or each group, each nation would select one warrior. And that warrior would fight the other. So I need a warrior. And we had one over here earlier. Mike Cirillo, where are you? Stand up. You're a warrior, dude. Okay, so there, there, this is your warrior over here. Give me another military person. I need a warrior. Right? There. Joe, stand up, man. You're being pointed at. Okay. All right. So you all on this side, that's your warrior. Say hi to your warrior. You all say hi to the warrior over here. Okay. Now here's the deal. These two have to fight each other. And generally what would happen, we're not going to do that today, guys. Generally what happened is if Mike won and defeated Joe, then all of you would either desert and run away because you've been demoralized, or these folks would take you and make you their slaves, and you would hope someday as you, as you blend into their culture that you could rise up and rebel against them. But the deal was, whoever won, the, rest, the other nation had to give in or run away and perhaps be destroyed in the process of retreat. So over here, we have the Philistine army. Sorry, folks. You are the Philistines, and they have a champion. That champion's name is Goliath. Mike, how tall are you? You're five, five, four. Okay, there you go. See, Goliath, Goliath was five foot, 48 inches tall. About nine feet, maybe 400, 500 pounds. Israel, Joe, sit down, dude. Israel's guy was zero feet, zero inches tall. They got nobody. And so for 40 days, here's what took place. Samuel records this, 1 Samuel 17. He says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? There they are lined up. Am I not a Philistine? I'm your enemy. And are you not the servants of Saul, your Israelites? So come on, let's fight. Choose a man and have him come down to me. And if he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him... You will become our subjects, and you will serve us. And on this 40th day, Goliath loses his head to a junior Hebrew warrior. And the question is, who is this guy, and where did he get his skill? He got his skill from the same place you get your skill. And here's what he did. One of the first things you do as a warrior, and this, this one young man un uncovered this, he discovered it, it's this, that you cross over three boundaries. When our family moved here a little over 16 years ago, we arrived and then had to go back to the airport and pick up our little Lhasa Apso who had flown on a plane, and we picked him up and brought him home, and he's a cute little Lhasa Apso. He died a couple years ago after being aged, like age 15 or 16, and, and, and so we brought him with us, and we brought him here, and he's just a cute, cuddly dog, and we miss him, and, but the deal is this, that, that when he would grab something that didn't belong to him, something out of the dirty clothes, the laundry, or he could actually, he could actually unzip purses and pull things out that if you went after him, he would turn and growl and even bite. And so that's where he got the name, and I've used it before, Demon Dog. 
because he was a demon dog. He just had this natural inclination to fight for whatever he, want, whatever he wanted to do. So when we got here and got into our house, we realized that he was not going to listen to us and stay within the yard that, that we needed him to stay in. So we invited a business to come over called Invisible Fencing. And so they, Invisible Fencing is a, a line, a wire they put in the, the perimeter of where you want that dog to stay. And then you put a collar on the dog. As the dog gets closer to the perimeter, it gives out an audible sound warning the dog, and then it increases in its intensity of, of discomfort. And so as the dog would get closer, the discomfort would make him back up. So they left, and we thought everything was fine, but you see, this dog was such a fighter that he just grit his teeth, and he would run through the boundary. Just, shoom, he'd go through. So we called the people from Invisible Fencing, and we said, we've got to increase the level of discomfort so they came back, they turned it up, and they said, now put the dog down, let's see what happens. And sure enough, we put him down, and he blitzed for the end of the driveway. He hit that boundary, and I'm not kidding you, he shot up straight in the air. <laughs> he did a 180-degree turn like a cartoon. In the air, paws just flying, hit the ground, and took off for the house. It was wonderful. <laughs> now, from that point on, he wouldn't cross that boundary. There were times that his collar wasn't on him, but he still wouldn't cross the boundary because of the pain he knew would be there. Where is your invisible fence? Where is that boundary for you, that painful moment that you will not cross, a family declaration that you will not cross, a cultural expectation that you will not cross. Where is that pain that keeps you in the spot you're in and you have been there for years and you will not move out? You've been in churches and you've heard them say, Jesus has set you free, the collar's off, you can go, but yet you still won't move beyond that point. The time had come that Saul, the king of Israel, had turned his back to God in such a way that God said, I'm removing my spirit from you. And so the spirit of God came to Samuel, the prophet who had appointed Saul as king, and said to Samuel, that guy there, no more. I have a new king. I want you to go down to the, the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem. There's a family there, and, and, and this guy named Jesse has a bunch of sons, and with these sons, you're going to find the next king. So go down there and find him. He said, well, if I go down there, Saul knows that I anoint people. He may feel like I'm going to anoint someone and to kill me. He said, no, go down and begin to worship and invite Jesse and his family to come worship with you. And so Samuel goes to Bethlehem, and there they gather together. As he's watching the, the sons of Jesse, he notices the firstborn, Eliab, and he says in his heart, surely this is the Lord's anointed standing before the Lord. And here's what the Spirit of God said, 1 Samuel 16. Don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? At the heart. 
Samuel says, this is not the one. I need to see the rest of your sons. And so he parades each one, the remaining six that are there. And for each one that comes by, Samuel says to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen this one. The Lord has not chosen this one. The Lord has not chosen this one. He's not chosen this one. He's not chosen this one. He gets down to the last one. And, and you've got to know he's thinking, Lord, you said that they would be here. You said that this, one of these sons would be it, but we're, we're out of sons. So finally, Samuel turns to Jesse and he says, is this it? He said, oh, no, 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 we got, we got to run to the litter. He's, he's, he's out with the sheep where he's supposed to be. And he says, go get him. And when David walks into the room, the scripture says that God said this, rise, Samuel, and anoint, for this is the one. God looks what's on the inside, although he knew on the outside there were three very good reasons why this young man should not be king. Three boundaries he would have to cross. And the first is this. He would have to cross over his family tree. Well, Pam and I were gone a few weeks ago celebrating our anniversary. Where we were, there was a place that would do genealogy searches, and so we asked them to look up my name, Reisner, and we knew we were from Germany, and also what our crest is, and this is our crest. We found our crest. Cool crest. Got, got a lion holding some stars, and you got the lion on the top holding stars, and those things there, we think they're feathers or wireless microphones. We're not sure which. And so it describes the name Reisner. Reisner comes from Germany, and it comes from Risen, which, which actually could mean a, in a, a place in the ground that's come up or the beginning of a, of a, a water chute. Uh, it, it means the man took the name near the location that described who he was, and so it could come from there. It could come from Rosin, which means someone who works with roses. Now, you see, if I have a choice between someone who's doing, like, water stuff and someone who's doing wa- rose stuff, I'm going for the water stuff because this is my heritage. Even worse, it said rise and in middle, risey from the middle, middle German language actually means someone who creates veils, a seamstress. I'm saying, no, 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 no. Now, I need, I need a name to say someone who stabs bears or, or someone who wrestles dragons, but not someone who sews veils. This has got to be masculine. And here's what I've discovered. That our roots can help identify our identity. But it does not cast our destiny. See, David had within his family tree some bad fruit. One of his ancestors, one of his family tree, she was a professional prostitute. One was, was a conniver. One was a rip-off artist. One, a father-in-law, got his daughter-in-law pregnant because he thought she was a prostitute. Now, that's wrong on a whole bunch of levels. And these guys, these sons of Jesse and Jesse, they're just farmers. They're not royalty. You sit here today. And the expectations of your family perhaps have drawn a boundary around you. You've grown up with the expectations and the thoughts, and you can barely thought, think about crossing the boundaries. You've heard them say long enough, you won't amount to anything. 
We've always lived in this place, and no one in our family would ever leave this place. Your father's an alcoholic, and you will always, always live with that shame. No one in this family has ever needed a college education. Why should you? You know, everybody in this family has been a doctor. Your grandfather was a doctor. Your great-grandfather was a doctor. Your father's a doctor. Your brothers are doctors. What is this deal about you wanting to go to Rwanda and work in an orphanage? No way. You've got to be a doctor. It's what we do. This family will never get out of poverty. It's just the way it is. You're only a shepherd. You can't be a king. But there is that one phrase that catapults us beyond the boundary. He is the one. She is the one. Paul, writing to his friends in Ephesus, said, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. I will tell you, as long as you're following Jesus, inevitably it will come to a time when God will say, I prepared you for this, and it's outside your boundaries, you're now going to have to walk beyond it. You're going to have to stretch yourself beyond it. You're going to have to move in an uncomfortable place, even though you've been told this, will, this pain will always be there, that this is the way we are. You're going to have to move beyond that point to do what God created you to do. For each of us, there's that moment he says, he's the one. And when you hear that, you've got to move. She's the one. You've got to move. Included in your notes today, and I'd like you to take those and look at those, is a prayer of deliverance from generational curses. It says this, in the name of Jesus, I repent because of the sins of my ancestors that allowed the curses. And then you get, you get to state the name of the curse. The ex- examples like lust, abuse, addiction, anger, anxiety, depression, critical spirit, gossip, etc. This morning, right now, in this place, at this very moment, I'm going to have you stand in just a moment, and we're going to read this prayer from our hearts together. And when we get to those spots where it says, name those things, you know in your heart what those are. You know what your family struggled with. You know what you struggle with. And let this be the the beginning of the destruction of that boundary so that you can move on. You'll pray it today, and you'll probably have to pray it tomorrow. And then I would say, gather some people that you trust who are people of faith and say, pray this with me, agree with me. Some of you may say, it's such a wrestling match for me that that you need to come in because we have teams of people who will pray you through and walk you through the release of what your generation has put on you, what your family has put on you. And set you free. And so would you stand with me please. This is not some recitation. This is a declaration. And I want you to declare this with me. I want you to read it out loud. And when we get to that spot that says name the curse. I'm going to pause. And you name whatever that is. I wouldn't say it out loud if I were you. I would just state it inside. People around you don't need to know that right now. You can gather with some people you trust later, but just say it inside your heart. Would you do that with me? Let's let's read this together. In the name of Jesus, I repent because of the sins of my ancestors that allowed the curse of, now you name it, 
Now keep going with me. To be passed down to me through my generations. I forgive my ancestors for passing these curses down to me, and I renounce the curses and forbid them to operate in my life any longer. I renounce the spirits of, name them, that they may have entered my life at any time. I call these acts sin, and I repent of them. I ask you to forgive me for these sins, and I thank you, Lord, that you do forgive me. So in the name of Jesus, I renounce and I break any connections, covenants, and contracts with the generational curses of, and name those. I close every door against these curses, and I cancel every legal right that they have had to operate in my life. I command the curses to loose their hold on me now in the name of Jesus. So shall it be. Please be seated. So you cross over the family tree. Then you'll need to do this. You'll need to cross over forgotten places. You see, when Jesse's oldest son was of age, he would go and begin to work with his father on the farm and begin to understand the trade, but he could only do that when there was another son younger who would then go watch the sheep. And when another son would come along, the one watching the sheep would then take his place to learn his trade and become a man. And then when another young son was born, the other one that was watching the sheep would go, and it would continue until the very last child, the youngest, would be there to watch the sheep. And he had no one to replace him. And so his life, his, his lot in life, his place in life was determined he would watch the sheep. David's place in life had been determined. And when you watch the sheep, you're forgotten because you're the forgotten person who gets to do that job over there. And that's why... When Samuel said to Jesse, bring me your sons, they never brought David because David didn't count because there was no one to replace him, so he was stuck in the forgotten place forever. You feel as if you are last in line. You feel like you've been forgotten. You feel like you're doing some work here and, and no one really cares and, and you don't know what your destiny is and you're just stuck there. I want to tell you, that you be faithful in what you're doing there because God knows where he wants you to be. As you're being faithful in that place that just seems so forgotten right now, you've had dreams of doing something else. You've seen yourself being something else. You know that you're supposed to be doing something else, but there you are in this one spot, and everybody is content with you being there. If you are faithful there and you believe, the time will come you'll be released from there and believe it and keep looking toward that, although you work hard where you are. There will come a moment that a prophetic word will speak into your life. God will send a prophetic word, and it will be the word that says, she's the one. He's the one. Now is your time. Now is your moment. Many years back, I was in that place that I thought I'd been forgotten. I thought that no one cared, and I didn't think I even knew where I was anymore. I had been released from a job. In fact, I had been fired. They had gotten wrong information, jumped to conclusions, and fired me. 
And there I was trying to find a place to go and I was just alone and I was in a prayer gathering and a friend of mine came up to me and he said, God is saying this to you. You feel like a little boy lost in the woods. You don't know where you are. You don't know where you're going and no one knows where you are. But God is saying to you, you're not lost. He is with you. He knows where you are and you will walk to where you need to go. You will arrive. And I had just thought to myself the day before, I feel like a little boy lost in the woods. A few weeks later, my aunt, who had no idea what I was going through, because we, we just didn't talk that often, she said, you know, I've been praying, and God brought you to my mind, and here's what I think God says to you. And I don't know what this means, so if it doesn't mean what, what, anything, then just jettison it and don't, don't let it be a matter of discussion. But I think what God's saying to you is this. And with a prophetic word, she said, a season in your life has ended. A new season is beginning. And don't become embittered against the tool that he's using to bring it about. I want to tell you that if you're faithful to where God has placed you now, warring where, you're, where you are right now, knowing that there's something better or something else, some other passion that you have, if you'll stay faithful where you are, the prophetic word will come to you and release you and you will cross over the forgotten place. But then also, you must cross over the expected order. See, David was in the wrong place in the birth order. He was the youngest and the most inexperienced, and his brothers, who were so confident and so talented, overshadowed him. He was in the forgotten place. You know what it's like if you're from a large family. You know that the firstborn has three photo albums as a child. And if you're the youngest, you know you have three pictures. And they're not even sure where those are. He's in that spot. The youngest is the most least likely to have success, and they know that. Someone sent me this picture. I want to share it with you this morning, and, and they wrote a caption under it that said this, I wonder who laid down first. Take a look. Some of you got there last. And yet God is saying to you, the place that you put yourself, he has grown you beyond that place. He's expanded you beyond that place. And yet you're still trying to squeeze yourself into that small place because you say it's my order. Others should go first. Here's what you need to do. Understand your anointing. When God says he is the one, she is the one, he's also saying with that, I'm telling you that I am giving you authority to function and ability to act. In fact, here's what happened. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. So, David, so as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and he anointed David with oil. 
And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. The anointing is the recognition that the Holy Spirit has brought to someone at that moment authority to function. That there's this God release that when they speak, something happens in the spiritual realm. And the ability to do what is necessary to achieve the goal that God had for you in the first place. David is now next in line for the throne. He knows that. And now he has to get ready. With appointment comes anointment. Understand that. When God's saying, I want to take you here, he doesn't just send you without anointing. He gives you anointing. That you should be doing what he's called you to do and you can do, but not by your own ability. And here's the deal you've got to understand. It's not you. The prophet said, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord so that you obey the anointing. The anointing says you go here, you go there. You obey what Jesus has told you to do, and you use the authority in the manner that you are to use it. Not greater than you are supposed to, and not less than you're supposed to, but where he tells you to function, you function in that authority. Saul's problem is that he tried to take too much authority and turned his back on God and did it on his own without the anointing. He said, I'm going to do this because I've got this power. I've got this, this throne. I've got this, these people looking at me as king. But he'd forgotten his anointing. So the amazing thing happened as you read this story about the time that God is moving his spirit from Saul, he's putting his spirit on David. And when that spirit moves from Saul, he is now open to attack from alien spirits, from demons. It just tears him up, and and those who are his age say to him, we know of a guy, a young man, a shepherd, when he plays the harp, there is peace, this, this divine peace that just penetrates. In fact, here's what they said. 1 Samuel 16, verse 18, and one of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior a man of war, and has good judgment. He is also a fine-looking young man, and what? The Lord is with him. See, I want to tell you this, that if God says to you, you are the one, he will give you an anointing. And I'm going to tell you this, that even if you're hidden someplace, and, and you're not where you know you're supposed to be, and that anointing is on you, I'm going to tell you right now that the right people will see the anointing. And you will end up where you are supposed to be. This is not you you, you putting together the pieces to get you where you think God needs for you to be. Your anointing will be obvious and you will be ushered into that spot and you can go into full confidence because our anointing will make a way for us. See, if, if I'm a loving father, I'm not going to give my son a fork and no food. What good is the fork? If I'm a loving father, I'm not going to give my son a submarine and make him live in the desert. And if I'm a loving father, I'm not going to give you an anointing and not give you the battle that the anointing was designed for. I will put you there if I'm a loving father. And now, all of a sudden, David finds himself in the palace. I mean, how's he going to get there? Suddenly, he's invited to come and to play and to worship. He is there. And his, and his anointing will expand while he's there. You know there are those days, because you see after he was anointed, Samuel didn't turn to him and say, go live in the palace. He went back to sheep. 
but he functioned in his anointing in that hidden place. And you know he had to wonder, why am I still with the sheep? But I want to tell you that your anointing knows the way. Your anointing knows the day. Stay obedient to God in that anointing and your day will come. And while you're there, God says, I want you to do this. And David did this. Practice your skill. Do what you know you can do. The anointing starts where we are. So David plays for the king. The demons go. There's this anointing. The king sees this. Now David stands before the king and says, I can take on the giant. Now you see, the king has got to decide whether or not this will work because the kingdom depends on the warrior. If the warrior loses, the, king, and the kingdom goes under. So he's got to be sure. But he thinks back. The kid drove out demons. The kid's a warrior. I think I can trust this kid. So the king pulls him in and says, now look, here's the deal. I want you to wear my armor. Understand why he said that. It's not because David didn't have any armor and he needed armor. The whole thing with armor in those days was this, that if you wear someone else's armor, their ability, their character, their strength is put on you as you wear the armor. So that if you win, then the one who gave you the armor is also a winner and has participated with you. Saul knew that if David won, all the glory would go to him. And so David responds back. 1 Samuel 17, 34. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock... I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. He didn't say it is the armor of Saul the warrior that will deliver me. It is not this methodology. It is not any of this. Understand that we must keep our skill connected to our anointing. Keep your skill connected to your anointing. Because someone's going to come to you and say, you know, if you do it this way or this way, and you know that it's not you, whatever God's told you to do with the anointing that you have, use that thing. Use that faith. Use that ability. And people come to me and say, you know, this is happening over in this part of the country. We should do it here. This is happening. We should do this here. And all I say to God is, God, what is the anointing on us here that you want us to do here? Because we can't wear their armor. We've got to wear the armor you've given us here for Erie, Pennsylvania. David says, I fought lions and bears. He said, I started out with these small victories. And please understand that the skill comes from smaller victories. That as you're faithful where you are and you just win where you are, God says, it's building you towards a greater war. You see, in the battle you're in now, it's preparing you for a greater battle. It's preparing you for a victory. So lady, you used to run a business. Now you run a household with a six-month-old. 
fight there. Right where you are, fight there. You're not missing anything, fight there. You may be washing windows and you think that you should be teaching English as a second language in Korea. Right now, while you're washing the windows, fight there. Because what you do there will prepare you for over there. You say, I only got four semesters left in, in, in college, and, but, but, but I, I want to hit the workforce now. No, no, where you are, work there. Serve there. Fight there. Fight where you are. Because David fought in the isolation of the pasture. He fought in the public arena of the battlefield. He fought in the caves of banishment, and he fought in the temple of the Most High God. But wherever he was, he fought. Wherever you are right now, battle. Because it's in that spot your skills are developing. So now on this special day, I want to recognize that most men I know want to be courageous warriors that take on the world and win. And most children I know want to find warriors to emulate. And this is why. would like all the men in this auditorium please stand young men too some of you who stand here today are fathers 
some of you will be fathers. But every one of you will have fatherly influence. We desperately need you to be warriors. To cross over those boundaries. To understand your anointing and to battle where you are. Because for each of you, God is saying, he's the one. God's got a place. He's the one. And so, as we conclude our gathering on this very special day, I'm going to ask, ask Pastor Larry Albanese to join me on the platform. As he comes by, would you hand him a microphone? Pastor Albanese. Pastor Albanese is a man of God who has been influencing and, and, and shaping warriors for a lot of years. He's pastored this church. And I've asked him this morning to come and as a father over all of us to pray that each of us who stands will be the warrior that God has designed us to be. And so in those moments that we want to say, God, that hurts way too hard. We'll keep fighting. Pastor Albanese, pray for us. This was a wonderful message we've heard this morning. Very impacting, very good. And we live in a world that needs God so badly, and we are the ones who are to lead that way. And so this morning, I want to share with you some of the thoughts that came to me. Pastor Jack had asked me to come to pray and also to speak, and I want to share some of these things with you. May the Lord bless this time together. As men and fathers, we are called to lead our families into the spiritual things of God because they are eternal. As fathers, we're there in that place. In Second Samuel, the Word of God says that The God of Israel spoke to me that we must be just in the fear of God as fathers and leaders to our children and our families. As fathers, we are to be patient continually in well-doing, seeking the glory, the honor, and the immortality of the eternal life as recorded in the book of Romans. And at this time, I want us to join in prayer as I pray out to you. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this wonderful service that we've had and the message we have just heard. And this morning, Lord, as we've come together as men and women with families and members that finds ourselves battling with the things of the evil one that is in this world as we approach the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have read of David's men, 37 men, men of God, who were given to the things of God, who led and guided and directed. We think of David that the last thing that he did had these 37 men, and they were faithful to him. And today we pray, Heavenly Father, that thou will bless each and every man here. We pray especially for our pastor here today 
that you will pray for him, that God will bless him, Pastor Jack, in a greater way and strengthen him. We pray your blessing upon him. We pray, Heavenly Father, today that your blessing continues to be upon this congregation, especially upon the men in this congregation, that there will be a hunger in their hearts to seek God, to pursue God, to pray and to seek the Lord. We pray this day, this morning, that, Heavenly Father, you will give us a desire to seek the face of God that you will guide us, that our lives will have an impact as a result of the anointing of God that we've heard of. We pray, Heavenly Father, for your blessing upon each and every man and these young children, that the fathers will be leaders to them as well, that will instruct them in the ways of the Lord. We pray, Heavenly Father, now that you will bless each and every one of our men, and truly, Lord, we are in a time of warfare. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Spirit of God is greater in us than he that is in the world, that there is a glory and a power that is among the people of God and the the people of God that are seeking and searching for the things of God. And so now, Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing upon all of our men and our fellow boys and boys that are here, that you will bless them as well as they also grow. We pray that the love of God will pass over into the families and into the fathers. Lord, put a hunger within the hearts of every father that there will be a desire in each man to be a leader and an example to the, father, to the children. We give you thanks today, Lord. We praise you for your faithfulness And we thank you for the word of the Lord to instruct us, to guide us, and lead us. We give you thanks for greater is he, again, that is in us than he that's in the world. For that is because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has given that calling. And now, Lord, we pray your blessing upon all of our men, that you'll watch over them and encourage them, just like we read and heard of. David's 37 men. To you be all the glory and the honor. In Christ's name and for the glory of God we pray. Amen. Ladies, you can stand. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be blessing and glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.